1: It is very natural that in a pop culture sense, especially as piracy became much further removed, began to be looked upon as a very romantic kind of sort of anti-establishment group of people.
0: Thousands of schemes for privateering are afloat in American imaginations, John Adams wrote in a hopeful letter to his wife Abigail. Some are for taking the hull ships, with woolens for Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Some are for the tin ships, some for the Irish linens, some for outward bound and others for inward bound India men, some for the Hudson Bay ships, and many for the West India sugar ships. Out of these speculations, many fruitless and some profitable projects will grow. John Adams was excited about a weapon, one that he knew that the fledgling American Continental Congress could fling against its larger adversary, pirates. Washington, in the fall of 1775, unable to attack the British at Boston because not enough cannons, not enough gunpowder. He nonetheless observed that the British were well-supplied. There was a flow of enemy ships into Boston Harbor, maybe intercepting a British weapons ship could help replenish his meager armory. He asked for schooners to be outfitted for attack, and that anyone that attacked a British warship could keep one-third of the profits generated. Results were obtained, but not always to his liking. He condemned some of the Tars on the ship, who just couldn't discern between the war effort and their own profits. Several Patriot vessels were taken, before finally a British transport carrying tons of munitions was captured. Shipyards along the American coastline were busy creating attack craft with sharp holes. Some described it as a deadly wolf pack that together, with combined firepower, could hit a British vessel. They were pirates. They were called privateers, we know that term. But their actions were exactly those of pirates attacking a merchant ship or even a British warship.
1: The law said anyone who robbed and uh, murdered at sea was considered to be a pirate. And this was kind of a very fluid definition. So there were a lot of people who were captured at pirates who said they weren't pirates. Because sometimes the British would say, you robbed from the Majesty's ships. Therefore, you're trying to murder Britain. You are a pirate.
0: That's Rebecca Simon, author of the book, Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd, and How He Changed Piracy Forever. Now, her book is about... Captain Kidd, but we talked to her a lot about America's history with pirates and how we're connected. And maybe there's still a little bit of that, a nation founded with the help and assistance of pirate activity.
1: The American colonists had set up their Continental Congress and they employed their own privateers who are like pirates, but they basically have a government contract saying that they can legally attack enemy ships, um, specific enemy ships, and keep the loot that they steal as payment. So in this case, attacking British ships. The British were saying, no, the Continental Congress, that's not a government because you are British. You are pirates if you attack us. And so John Adams, I know, got pretty upset with the British government because after the Boston Tea Party, British actually blockaded the port in Boston and declared those who participated in the Boston Tea Party as pirates as well. And some of the founding fathers thought this was too much because, you know, historically pirates would often be hung for their crimes. And a lot of it was kind of used as dramatic semantics. Um, What's funny is that actually in England during the American Revolution, when the British would capture any, any American colonists they were fighting at sea, they would transport them back to London for trial. And even Londoners began to think that that was getting out of hand. Like, you can't really call them pirates. Even this is too much. Send them back home.
0: From Queen Elizabeth's Sea Dog Pirates. Two privateers or gentlemen pirates, you know, these are known by many names, any manner of naming convention. So writes Jamie L.H. Goodall, staff historian at the Center of Military History for the U.S. Army Washington, D.C. Pirates are those whose primary undertakings was to disrupt commerce by the waterways. For me, there's not much that differentiates pirates from privateers, and the only thing that differentiated them was perspective.
1: In the 1730s, when most of organized piracy had died down, the British or the American colonists were still working with other smugglers and pirates to get sugar because of something called the Molasses Act that had been passed, which hiked up taxes on anything sugar and molasses based. And so this was such a problem. Americans rebelled against this so much that the British essentially had to cancel it, but after like had to take it away after a few years. But this was so kind of detrimental with the colonial relationship between America and Britain that there have been some who argued that the ideas of independence didn't just happen after the French and Indian War. You can trace it back to practically the turn of the 18th century.
0: There were a lot of people involved in, in, in the action. Benjamin Franklin, the American minister to France, was helping to implement Washington's plan to not only punish the British, but to keep more of the British fleet in their waters away from North America. And while Washington offered the crews of his privateer idea one-third of the goods, Continental Congress went one step further and said citizen seafarers that became privateers would be able to keep everything that they captured from a British merchant or warship. At least 100 New England privateers were plying the waters of the Caribbean during the Revolution. And Congress issued approximately 1,700 letters of mark. Ship owners applying for a letter of mark provided a detailed description of the vessel its armament and posted a bond to assure that vessel and enterprise would observe international laws and custom they could attack the enemy within the time limits of the letter and only those nations who were mentioned in the letter that letter could be revoked prize money could be refused the bond could be forfeited damage could be sanctioned by ships the british felt strongly that american revolutionary activities were indeed piracy one particular pirate Gustavius Coningham received a commission May 2nd, 1777, signed by John Hancock. He became the Dunkirk Pirate and was feared in England. Stories about Coningham appeared in, in British newspapers, scared the British public. They'd been told they were winning the war, and now there were American pirates attacking them. In fact, rates of insurance for shipping went up 28% because of his and others' activities as he took British ships and brought them into port. Now, Cunningham would be captured by the British. He'd later get his freedom. He was, at different times, berated by by the, the Continental Congress for some of his more audacious activities. Silas Dean, who was the commissioner in France reprimanded him. Every such adventure gives our enemies advantage against us by representing us as persons who do not regard the laws of nations. The problem was Cunningham was starting to seize English property on other ships, even French or Spanish vessels. He apologized but said, the British are doing the same thing to us. They're taking American property on other vessels. Do we have not have the right to retaliate? Cunningham was is not celebrated in history the way, say, John Paul Jones or other people are. But yet, one idea about how people felt about him and other privateers at the time is that there is a town in Luzerne County, Cunningham, named after him. It's not huge, under 2,000 people, 793 households, but it's something. I think it's important to explore it. The revolution was such a smattering of different groups. And while we talk with Rebecca Simon about how a lot of the the kind of black beard type piracy was finished by the time of the American Revolution, that pirate thinking and smuggling and other related activities were so important to the American cause that it's hard to envision how history would have unfolded without it.
1: Piracy has always been a source of fascination pretty much throughout human history, um, even in ancient times. But the time period the book covers is what we call the golden age of piracy. So the late 16, early 1700s. During that time period, there were people who actually did have good relationships with pirates because pirates often brought in smuggled goods that they couldn't, that colonists couldn't get otherwise because of trade restrictions that the British had put on because Mm -hmm. they were trying to cripple their competition's economies by blocking all Spanish and French trade to the colonies. So pirates brought in those goods. Also, pirates were known to be these people who kind of sort of broke the social norms in a way for lots of reasons. One, they were able to break out of their social class. Back in the 1700s, if you were born poor, you stayed poor. Many pirates, um, no matter their birth, were able to actually become decently wealthy, provided that they did well enough and weren't caught when they were captured they were publicly executed by hanging lots of criminals were but pirates were a bit different because in england in london they were taken to the banks of the thames at a place called execution dock rather than what was called the tyburn tree where pretty much everyone else was executed and these were big events the pirates would give something called a last dying speech where they had to atone for their crimes And a lot of times they went against this tradition, which was pretty thrilling, you know, to watch someone go against this. Their pirate trials were published verbatim, their speeches were published, and they would sell out almost immediately.
0: So even in their execution, they were heroes.
1: Oh, yeah, for kind of a lot of people. Of course, not everyone loved pirates, but there were people who just saw them as just being such fascinating, fascinating characters in a way. You know, Who are these Mm -hmm. sort of rebel sailors that they've been reading about? For so long, and now they're actually seeing who they are.
0: Probably the the best known pirates are probably Blackbeard and and Captain Kidd. You hear so much about Captain Kidd, and and I guess uh, maybe talk a bit about his story in any way you, you wish to. In fact, a lot of my listeners know the name and don't know much else.
1: Yeah, so Captain Kidd is a fascinating figure. He's actually kind of the subject of my book. He frames a lot of the history in terms of what makes us really love pirates, because he is such a symbol. When we think of pirates, we think of buried treasure. This idea comes from the pirate Captain Kidd. So who was he? He had been a former, he was a privateer, a Scottish privateer for Britain, particularly for the East India Company in the late 17th century, as they were trading with India. He had, a, like you mentioned earlier, a letter of mark, kind of this contract of ships he could attack. And what happened is he essentially broke that contract. He attacked the wrong ships in the East Indian Ocean. This upset Indian Mughals, the merchant emperors, essentially, who had already faced a case of British piracy a few years earlier by a pirate named Henry Avery. And so the British were under pressure not to lose this trading relationship. So they sent out this whole manhunt against Captain Kidd. And this is the first time a manhunt against a pirate was live documented With the widespread of newspapers and printed articles, people knew that Captain Kidd was wanted as a pirate before Captain Kidd knew until he landed at Madagascar to kind of replenish and everything like that. And this is when he sailed to the Caribbean to try to hide out and then contacted a friend of his and a former financier named uh, Lord Bellamont, Samuel Bellamont. He was also governor of both New York and Massachusetts, and Captain Kidd had a connection to New York because he'd married a wealthy woman from New York named Sarah Ort. So that was his home as well. So he contacts Bellamont, saying, you know, I need, I need help. I'm being tried as a pirate. I'm innocent. Bellamont does not want to be associated with a pirate at this point in his career. So he lures Kidd to Boston, promising safety, and then throws him into Boston jail. And kid is there for two years. In the meantime, he writes letters to Bellamont saying, I have hidden a whole bunch of jewels and coins and valuable goods on Gardner's Island, just off the coast of New York. So he's like, you know, take this, please release me. You can have all of it. So they go and search on Gardner's Island and they don't find anything, but they arrest his wife because they think she might know something, but then she doesn't. So they release her. There's nothing ever found. But this bit of information somehow made the press and it kind of sent off this sort of fur of people who are like, oh, my God, buried treasure, buried goods. And ever since then, we have always been uh, people have been searching for Captain Kidd's supposed lost treasure um, in the States. Even as recently as 2015, there was a shipwreck discovered off the coast of Madagascar filled with silver ingots, silver bars, and they said it had Captain Kidd's symbol stamped on it. It turned out to be a hoax. I think they were mostly lead. Also, as I won't lie, as someone who has researched Captain Kidd very, very extensively, I can tell you he had no seal on any ingots of any sort. I personally, honestly, don't believe in the idea of buried treasure because none has ever been found. And pirates didn't really have a reason. To bury treasure and come back for it later, and also our definition of treasure—we're thinking of golds and jewels. Back in the 1700s, 16 and 1700s, treasure just meant valuable, so anything that was worth money. And usually, what they were after were things like wine, spices, medicines, textiles, anything that they could sell for a good profit. But this is why Captain Kidd became so famous. He was put on trial. His trial was transcribed verbatim, where he really, really, you know, maintained his innocence saying, I have a letter of Mark, bring it in, and no one could produce it. But what's funny, if you research at the National Archives in Kew, London, it's there. So I've looked at it, I've taken pictures of it. So, you know, you can see that it did actually exist, but unfortunately, it was never produced. So there's this idea, was he a scapegoat? To kind of prove that, you know, to prove to India, essentially, yes, we Britain, we are taking care of the pirate issue. So this is kind of one of the reasons Captain Kidd became so legendary, because a lot of pirates saw him as being a scapegoat as well later. There was even a reference in a newspaper in like the 1720s of a pirate battle and the pirates saying, do you want us, we, we we won't go the way of kid? meaning like we're not going to be captured. So he was very much remembered and has become one of the most famous pirates in history because of these legends, because ideas of buried treasure, resur- you know, had resurgence in the 1800s. The 1950s, someone tried to hire people for an expedition to the South China Seas saying it was based on a map of Kid. It ended up not being true and ended up getting canceled and all this. So it's been a whole thing. But this is why he's such a fascinating figure. And he's really kind of spawned so much of pop culture. He was a big inspiration for Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island, which is basically where we get every single pop culture visual idea of pirates. So he's super influential.
0: Well, what time period is that Treasure Island around
1: The Treasure Island was initially published as a serialized story over a period of two years, like publishing a chapter a week called The Sea Cook. Mm -hmm. And then it was so popular that they bound it together in one volume and renamed it Treasure Island in 1883. It was published in the UK and it was published in the United States. And it was a massive hit almost immediately, particularly for younger readers, boys. But even young girls were really, really into the story. A young boy who goes on a ship to find this legendary treasure befriends, you know, the cook, Long John Silver, who's really nice to him. And then over here is Long John Silver is actually planning a mutiny and he's actually a pirate, which ensues in this whole battle, trying to get it. And then Long John Silver escapes at the end.
0: Does it get things right?
1: They, They get some things right. Robert Louis Stevenson actually did a lot of extensive research. He was a big fan of this book published. They won't be able to see it, but published in 1794 called The General History of the Pirates. Was published in 1794. Never went out of print, and it's a collection of pirate biographies. And so, uh, this is a pretty important primary source that we use both as a literary source and sometimes as a historical source. But he took a lot of info from here.
0: Oh, that's great!
1: So he got details about you know the importance of pirate rankings and um, pirate lifestyle on the ship in terms of ship lifestyle. He The pirate type of battles that took place were very accurate and based very much on different battles that were recorded in this book. But what's also quite interesting is that he also took a lot of inspiration in terms of their physical appearance from American Civil War veterans because he did a tour of the United States. So the idea of missing limbs, such as Long John Silver's peg leg and the eye patch, was actually inspired by a lot of Civil War veterans who were missing limbs and had to wear eye patches and that sort of thing. But it also very much stands to reason that life at sea is very hazardous. So a lot of sailors probably already had that anyways. And the whole idea of a parrot on the shoulder, pirates were known to sometimes keep tropical pets like that from the areas that they sailed. So there are lots of kind of facts that he pulled into the story and kind of did his own way that forever changed the way we conceive of pirates. Really, it's historically, it's such a fascinating book. I Actually, that was the subject of my master's thesis was the influence of Treasure Island on piracy. So I could go on forever about it.
0: but <laughs> that is No, it is interesting, particularly the part about the Civil War, that uh, maybe there was some influence from seeing so many people coming back from the Civil War and then using that imagery into, the, into a pirate book written later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, com, or just stop by.
1: Granger for the ones who get it done. You you, you talked about the two different countries,
0: American and then Britain itself. And uh, maybe you could talk a bit about that, like, the views of pirates, say, if one was living in London or if one was living in Boston or Charleston?
1: So there definitely was a difference depending on where you were. Um, In London, pirates, for the most part, didn't have a humongous direct personal effect on Londoners. Um, They weren't exactly coming into London and attacking. So most Londoners, they were hearing about pirates through newspapers and other sources of news, perhaps other officials, there were laws being passed against pirates. So Londoners knew that these were, you know, these maritime criminals robbing our country, but they were really quite removed from it, which will kind of lead to, again, this sort of morbid fascination when they were kind of suddenly arriving in London to be put on trial and then to hang. In the American colonies, it was quite different depending on where you were. If you were, say, in Boston, in New England, you, for the most part, probably weren't a fan of pirates because most of New England very much relied on maritime trade, the logging industry and the fishing industry in particular. So pirates were a massive, massive threat. Starting from the mid-Atlantic further south, like Philadelphia southward, Mm -hmm. the attitude changes quite a bit because there's so many trading ports in places like Philadelphia, Providence, Rhode Island, Charleston, and then, of course, throughout the Caribbean, they were the ones who depended a lot on the smuggled trade that pirates were bringing in. And so it got to the point where British officials were complaining that Philadelphia and Rhode Island have become, quote, receptacles for pirates because so many were brought in and given housing and being supported. In the Caribbean, there were whole communities that sort of welcomed in their smuggled trade. Governors would turn a blind eye and sometimes even outright finance them. Pirates had families. They were members of their community. So it was really, really a mixed. If your personal livelihood was being really hurt by a pirate or if you were very much at risk at sea, then yeah, you weren't going to be a big fan of pirates. But if you were more removed from it and getting some sort of benefit in a way, maybe your colony or your town or something, then you would have probably a more favorable attitude.
0: Is there anything that that you um, recall a founder, one of the people we might consider a founder, I don't like the term, uh, Ben Franklin, uh, George Washington, and Alexander Hamilton, uh, any of those folks specifically talking about pirates or expressing their viewpoint?
1: Organized bands of piracy had pretty much kind of ended after the 1720s because of the outbreaks of more wars on the sea. But what's interesting is going into that time period, the founding father time period in the American Revolution, is that piracy as a concept really came back because a lot of the American Revolution was actually fought on the sea.
0: Hey, we still uh, have in our constitution today the ability to use piracy, if we wished, um, with letters of marque provision in the constitution
1: yep. and what's interesting <laughs> is a lot of that was actually taken directly from british maritime law at the constitutional convention where they're trying to kind of solidify everything you know they kind of the british colonists kind of realized oh they're still we're still at risk for pirates and they actually did call upon britain to be like can you ever offer us assistance in case of pirates pirate attacks and britain was basically like yet yeah, no you want to be independent you're independent now and so basically the um the Founding Fathers, those at the, um, at the Constitutional Convention, pretty much took British maritime law against piracy and just sort of adapted it for our own constitution. So it's really, really similar.
0: We have an image probably from the movie Pirates of the Caribbean and other things of that swashbuckling mm. type. But um, I mean, there, it appears like we've already identified one, which would be a pirate working for the U.S. government which might be a converted merchant fleet by somebody who was very respectable, you know, a year before. And then I guess there are, there are the types that really were raiding goods that some Bostonian merchant was hoping to get safely to the Caribbean and back. And
1: Throughout the world, there were kind of different pirates. So in the Mediterranean, for instance, you have the Barbary pirates um, and the Corsair pirates. That was a bit more religious-based affecting maritime trade. In the 1600s in the Caribbean, they had groups of pirates that were referred to as buccaneers because a lot of them were still more land-based. In fact, the word buccaneer comes from the French term that means roasting meat, literally, because they were known to kind of sit and barbecue quite a bit. Although there is more of a deeper, I'm sure there's more of a deeper meaning to that as well, but they were quite prolific during the 1600s, the early 1600s. And then the ones that we most commonly think about, such as, you know, the Johnny Depp's, Jack Sparrows, those come from the time period known as the golden age of piracy, starting from the, uh, like I said before, starting from the end of the 1600s, early 1700s. They were kind of a very sort of diverse lot of people, former naval officers, mm-hmm. former merchants, a lot have been former privateers, again, those legally sanctioned. And then um as peacetime came about after the end of the war of Spanish succession in about 1713-1714ish a lot of these privateers found themselves without work and they got paid well they liked the adventure and so they just kind of continued on and began attacking any ship at will including ships from their own countries of origin thus making them pirates um so a lot of pirates were you know younger men who maybe were common sailors or had been on merchant ships some had never sailed but wanted to get away, or they were escaping from something. There were lots of Africans on slave ships, either freed or en- escaped enslaved people who were able to find a space. Other marginalized folk, there were Jews on pirate ships as well, because a lot of times they had a lot of limited opportunities on land. Yeah, a typical pirate ship would have about half of them would be British, American, and then the rest would be Spanish, Portuguese, East Indian, African. Dutch where a whole hodgepodge.
0: We do hear things about like there was this pirate ship fledging democracy that occurred on the pirate ships, but was there a, a certain way it was understood once you go pirate you operate this way, or it was every ship different?
1: Every every ship did have some differences, but there was like a commonality across them. A pirate ship, you know, they always had their captain that was standard, the most experienced and the most successful person. But if the captain was doing a bad job, then the crew could vote the captain out and vote someone else in who they felt would be better. Perhaps maybe that they were losing in battles. They hadn't actually had any successful robberies. Maybe their captain was crueler than they thought the captain should be. Then, yeah, the captain could be voted out, essentially. This wouldn't really happen on other ships. Pirates also pretty much got equal pay depending on their rank. So every rank got a different amount, but everyone within that rank got the same amount. No matter what they did, no matter what their position was in battle, they got compensation Mm -hmm. for injuries, which was also very unusual from other ships. You could get upwards of anywhere between 400 and 600 pounds if you lost a right arm or a right leg, for instance. And that is in 18th century currency. So that's a huge amount of money. Thousands of dollars today. So a lot of pirate ships were known to kind of have specific rules, and some have survived, and we do know them as the pirate code. Those were real, but they were kind of basic maritime rules, you know, keep your guns clean, no fighting, no drinking in the hold, no firing your weapons in the hold, to keep everything very, very efficient. Um, And pirates were known, in order to become a pirate, they had to kind of swear on these articles, as they called them. So they did come in kind of essentially almost signing a contract, like you will obey these rules, um, you will be loyal to your captain, and you're going to be loyal to your crew, you'll be brave in battle, and you're not going to betray us, essentially. So it was kind of more, very much more of an egalitarian society. Race didn't really matter. Religion didn't really matter. It was all pretty much about your skills and what you personally could offer.
0: Were there any instances of slave ships where this occurred and slaves were able to perhaps get their freedom by turning pirate?
1: That's an interesting question because we don't have a huge amount of information, but there, there, we do know that there were some pirates who did attack slave ships and actually took enslaved people as their property to sell as items. There were some, and then there were other pirate ships that would attack slave ships and take enslaved people to work in the crew sometimes not in the best positions on the pirate ship, but they were able to work and make money in that way. Mm -hmm. So it kind of really depended. It was a little bit of a mixed bag when it came to slave ships. A lot of pirates avoided them because they were large ships, very difficult to capture, a very complicated process of, you know, you're not just capturing goods you can store, you're capturing people who you have to feed essentially.
0: You talked about the city of Nassau which at a certain point became kind of a pirate city. What time period was that? And could you could you describe that a bit?
1: So there were two major pirate cities in the Caribbean. First is Port Royal, which might sound familiar if you've seen the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. It's a little island just off the coast of Kingston, Jamaica. And that used to be kind of a pirate haven, because a lot of sort of degenerates settled there in the 1600s. Jamaica was A place of a lot of contention between the British and the Spanish and because they were at war for decades in the Caribbean over who could own what plantation island. So Jamaica as a result had no real political leadership. So a lot of people kind of on the edges of society gravitated there and Port Royal being a port city had lots of access to the rest of the Caribbean. It attracted people such as sex workers, pirates, um, other types of criminals, and they hung out there until an earthquake struck in 1692 and sank part of the island. So pirates scattered. Then the War of Spanish Succession breaks out, and a lot of pirates are actually hired to be privateers. And then in the seven, around 1710-ish, a lot of pirates began gravitating towards the Bahamas off the coast of Florida to an island called the Island of Providence, which sits kind of right in the middle, a small island. And there was a city there called Nassau. And that's where a lot of them started to gravitate towards, because the Bahamas sit really close proximity to Florida and also the Caribbean and major shipping lanes. But the island of Providence is also sandwiched in between a lot of islands. So they're hard to get to, especially if you're in a large ship. Pirates sailed in smaller ships for the most part. So it became a good area. And it kind of became known as the pirate city over the next few years because so many were coming in. And again, it was a very lawless society, very degenerate society, until a former privateering captain, um now turned pirate Benjamin Hornigold came in and he saw an opportunity to not just kind of have a place for pirates to sort of go, but to kind of make it an official pirate stronghold. And so he cleaned the place up, established law, um wasn't super strict, but established law and it became known as the Pirate Kingdom and he was known as the Pirate King. And this was around 1713. And Nassau for the next several years became very much known as the pirate kingdom until Woods Rogers, who had once been privateer, then pirate, then pirate hunter, and now made governor of the Bahamas, kind of like 1718, 1920 ish, something around there. He comes into the Bahamas and he's trying to get rid of piracy. But at that point, Nassau is such a pirate locale that it's kind of left alone in a way. But kind of this was just a way for them to kind of naturally gravitate towards. And this is where you find pirates, Blackbeard. Charles Vane, Steve Bonnet, Jack Rackham, the female pirates, Anne Bonny, Mary Reed, all of them were at NASA at some point in their careers.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about in the memory of a, a person that's around at the time of the revolution, maybe not, uh, I uh, always tell people they might get they hear like seventeen ten and they oh that's so far away from seventeen seventy five but here we are thinking about John Kennedy probably every day and that's nineteen sixty and we're twenty twenty you know so it's, it's in the memory it's in the uh, you know it's something that a father or grandfather talked about if somebody's in the revolutionary generation pretty close I guess the reason I I make that point is my why we like pirates we love the movies I I think you know. Americans are rebels. We like that. We we there's a lot of our culture and our popular movies and songs and clothing and cars that's about shaking off authority and the like and I don't know whether it's it's all like kind of traceable from pirates or pirates are just a symptom of this general American outlook that we have as a as a group that came from either colonists or people who immigrated here but it is an interesting thought that that unlike a lot of other countries there's a strong left and right libertarian arc do you see any connection there to to, to, do with americans and because we were at least so close to the pirates and the founding of our country
1: i think so i think um a lot of it can be traced back to that colonial era And a real big thing that upset the American colonists against the British was because the American colonies, being so far, a lot of them actually had their own autonomy, especially the southern colonies, because they were more rural, whereas in New England, it was much more business-based. So the rural colonies, you know, producing crops and that sort of stuff, they were more allowed to rule themselves, especially Virginia. So a lot of colonies had worked with pirates for some time. Because of these acts called the Navigation Acts passed in 1651 initially, which blocked trade, trading with France and Spain, et cetera. And so for a long time, the American colonists worked with pirates. Then around the turn of the 18th century, Britain cracks down on piracy, calling it the war on pirates, essentially. And they are working so hard to get rid of pirates in the ocean that they tell the British colonists that you must follow the maritime laws, the admiralty laws we have set up. Exactly as it's done in Britain. And if you help pirates and you don't try pirates, you will be considered a pirate and suffer the same punishment. You have to do it exactly as we say. And this really upset colonists and governors who were very used to ruling on their own and now suddenly had a lot of this, for lack of a better term, kind of independence at the turn of the 18th century. You know, it was kind of stripped away. And so a lot of American colonists, maybe not the governors, because, you know, they had they were so tied to the British authorities and the crown. But a lot of colonists were happy to really kind of go against these mm-hmm. rules and still trading with pirates. So pirates being very anti-establishment, going against the grain, having had decent relationships with a lot of American colonists, it is very natural that in a pop culture sense, especially as piracy became much further removed, began to be looked upon as a very romantic kind of sort of anti-establishment group of
2: people. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Yeah, I hate to make generalizations because I know there's probably people in Britain who hate authority too. Well, I know of it. <laughs> I mean, but um it does seem like a, in in American politics like no good can come of authority versus thinking that um generally no good can come from anarchy or we have to, no good could come from chaos. And this is a country with a lot of smuggling in its background. Hancock was a smuggler. We did a lot of uh, business to get gunpowder in in order to even have a a chance at a rebellion. Yeah, breaking the rules is is how it all started and that anyone would think it would change over time, um, especially when the people that are added to the population are either descendants of those who rebelled or people that came from other countries and left for a reason. So there's a lot of, we shouldn't be surprised, I guess. I was thinking about Bermuda, um, only because I know we had a big, con- um, when I say we, I mean, the American revolutionaries had a connection with the island of Bermuda and almost kind of like a alliance, but they couldn't formalize it because Britain would come over and send warships and they were afraid. But we did a lot of trade and
1: Yeah, Bermuda was known to have um, a large pirate population there as well. And it was another area for them to gravitate towards because – Again, pretty pretty good proximity to other Caribbean plantation islands, and obviously um, the North American colonies and major trade routes as well. And so Bermuda was it was very much an island that would attract pirates, and so therefore a lot of American leaders, especially later, knew that that was a place they could go to to deal with pirates.
0: Uh, Just a couple of questions that these are more. I'm trying to get a sense for impact on the American nation. Like, so one of the things you said is that um, basically but yeah, Maybe, let's say, even after the American Revolution, you're getting into the time of the Constitution, say, or 1790s. Is it is at that point, is it pretty safe to ship things from your Philadelphia, maybe your Philadelphia merchants, or your Boston merchants down to the Caribbean and back? Are you still worried about pirates?
1: There was always still a worry about pirates because a lot of pirates, particularly from um, African nations, were kind of coming over and doing lots of attacks on trade. But in terms of organized bands of piracy, that didn't really exist anymore. They had to anytime you're doing any sort of maritime trade, you have to be prepared for attacks always. But it was less of a risk. You were less likely to be set upon by pirates, because there just weren't nearly as many anymore. And the Royal Navy, uh, by the mid 1700s, had taken over so much of the Caribbean that piracy was almost eradicated from the Caribbean. And it pretty much stayed that way, because at that point, Caribbean colonies were very much settled, strong government, many of them were still British territories, so huge strongholds there that pirates wouldn't go to. And so shipping became much safer. Um, between United States and the Caribbean when they're getting items like sugar, sugar was probably the biggest export um, from the Caribbean, and then also shipping their own goods, you know, indigo rice, tobacco, one of the biggest exports from the South. And then of course, the logging and the fishing industry in New England. Yeah, it became it did become much safer. But during the American Revolution, a lot of it stopped because Britain in a way to try to cripple the American colonies blockaded almost all the major ports in New England and parts of the south so they couldn't trade. So in the American Revolution a lot of people think of it as such a land-based war but actually at least half of it was very much maritime based because of this. So after they became an independent we became an independent country yes the threat of pirates was less but we always had to be prepared.
0: And I know there's the Barbary pirates, and I haven't gotten into it because I know was more like a nation-sponsored and gets into Jefferson and the the war in Tripoli and all that. But I know they had to worry if they were sending ships over there. But what about the uh, risk of, um, let's say, the risk for the average merchant in Philadelphia or in Boston or Rhode Island that their crew, you know, the risk that their crew might mutiny, did that lessen? by the time we're getting to uh, trying to put the listeners kind of in the time period where there'd be less of this stuff or more of this stuff? Um, was it less likely that, say, a crew would mutiny in, you know, maybe after the period of the Constitution?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And mutiny was actually a lot rarer than we think. It was very risky to commit mutiny on a ship because it pretty much meant certain death by hanging. And, you know, there is the idea that, you know, the deepest circle of hell, um, was saved for mutineers and traders. That's not just from Pirates of the Caribbean. You can go look back at Dante's, uh, the, um, Dante's Inferno. That's where a lot of those ideas come from. Um, that's a whole other subject, but, um, mutiny people always prepped to make sure there wouldn't be mutiny, but it wasn't really a threat in a way because it so rarely happened. Um, but there was even a less likely chance it would have happened after the American revolution because ships became more advanced as technology was improved, was improved. Um, you know, the maritime industry became much more set and a lot more regulated, which meant conditions overall were a lot better than they had been during the 16 and 1700s where you might not have very good food or medical care. you pay would be withheld for too long. You could have really cruel masters in a way. And that's actually why a lot of merchants and even naval sailors actually defected into piracy because they wanted to escape these bad conditions. But by after the American revolution, that wasn't really as far as I know, that wasn't really a risk anymore. So mutiny, of course you always prepare for it, but it didn't really happen. It was super rare.
0: Other than what we talked about, is there anything that, that, People should know about pirates.
1: Well, one thing I always kind of like to point out is that pirates weren't just these cruel fighters and swashbucklers like Blackbeard or sadistic like Ned Lowe, who was known to attack his victims, cut off their lips and noses and force his victims to eat them. He was horrific. Pirates actually weren't that violent. They had the appearance of being these violent people because they could, you know, they weren't afraid to die in battle. They had guns. They had swords. And so they knew merchant ships, you know, they would be attacked. They were definitely in danger. But pirates wanted just to get in, take goods, and get out. They weren't interested in having any of their men killed. It was actually quite methodical. Um, I don't know if any, if you or anyone or listeners have seen the show Black Sails, but the very first episode shows a pirate attack. And it's, like, really intense and crazy. And then when the pirates successfully take over, their captain very much kind of goes, okay, see to the wounded, discuss um, issues with some of the crew. I need to speak to the captain and go over their inventory. Like it was actually a lot more methodical. And also most pirates were just kind of regular people who were trying to just make some money and be able to live comfortably. So most pirates didn't operate more for a year or maybe two and then would go home if they survived it. So I always like to point out is that pirates were, I don't want to say just like, you know, regular people like you and me, Like there was so much more to them. So much more.
0: Would they go, would where they go home to include Britain? Could they could they actually get away with that? And then, and then, have this mysterious money and maybe fund some businesses. And
1: A lot of the people who kind of turned to piracy, some would go home back to Britain and they a lot of them lived Mm. in sailing communities so it wasn't really kind of spoken about as much, but a lot would actually go home to Caribbean islands and American colonies. That was kind of the majority of where a lot of them would go because (laughs) those were places where they were a lot more welcome and that's where a lot of them had families as well, you know, wives and children waiting for them to return and this is if someone survived their tenure as a pirate because capture by the British authorities meant certain death through hanging and trial but um but yeah they like I always just kind of like to point out they just kind of people who just wanted to make some money very quickly and kind of get out of a very you know trying to get out of poverty essentially
0: and sometimes as you reference there are women pirates as well there
1: were um the most famous ones were Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed both women oddly enough who um, were were illegitimate children, both of whom their mothers died. And, you know, Anne Bonnie's Irish, Mary Reed is English. Both of their, or uh, Anne Bonnie's mother had died. Um, Mary Reed's mother actually raised her as a boy, trying to disguise her as a son who had died. So she could still be getting um, an allowance from her previous husband's family as a widow so she passed off mary as a boy her illegitimate child um so she can continue getting the allowance mary didn't even know she was a girl until she probably hit puberty and then her mother had um lost the allowance because the family found out puts mary in domestic servitude mary hates it she leaves changes her name to mark reed reassumes male dress joins the army in the netherlands a british army in, in the netherlands gets on a ship after and Heads to Nassau, where she joins Jack Rackham's crew. And his wife, Anne Bonnie, who had come to Nassau with her former husband, James Bonnie, after her father took them to North Carolina to kind of start over, um, she was disowned. And she escapes with Jack Rackham because James Bonnie had become a pirate hunter and she hated that. And so the two women, once they were on the ship, um, and you know, Anne discovered Mark was actually Mary because she actually tried to seduce Mark Reed because she was so impressed with his bravery. So the two of them after that, you know, they still wore men's clothes, but they wore their hair long and flowing. The big thing is when they'd attack ships, they swore more than anybody. They had pistols and swords. They fought harder than anybody. They also fought with their shirts open, bearing their breasts to their victims to freak them out because who would expect that? But there were also some cases. There have been cases of women disguising themselves as men to fight in the navy, to fight in war, and keeping themselves hidden. So it very much stands to reason that there were more women. You have Grace O'Malley in the 1500s, the Irish pirate queen who was quite successful. And then in the 1800s, you have the Chinese pirate uh, Madame Chang, who led a fleet of over a thousand ships and was so successful as a pirate that the Chinese government paid her to retire. So. But yeah, exactly. Then she opened up a series of brothels with it, which, you know, I think is hilarious. So there were these very famous women pirates, and those are the only famous ones we know of, but it very much stands to reason that there had to have been more female pirates. Women also, they were banned on some ships. Blackbeard didn't allow women on ships, but there were other times where captains would bring their wives. Women served a role maybe as a nurse or something like that. But yeah, we just don't know because it wouldn't have been recorded. But I believe if there were, if we know of some, there were definitely others.
0: This episode will air before Christmas, so plenty of shopping time. So maybe uh, talk a bit about
2: the book.
1: So the book is called Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Forever. And this book goes into, of course, Captain Kidd. He was a major focus of my doctorate. Kind of, he kind of started my interest because my PhD was on public executions of pirates. And I kind of took a lot of that information and essentially turned it into this book. And I specifically wrote it for a popular audience rather than just an academic audience. So the book goes into, you know, who pirates were and where they operated and why. And then it goes into how they became so infamous. It includes A chapter about Captain Kidd specifically, Um, I include chunks of his trial transcript and his execution sentencing, which is very dramatic and in some ways quite harrowing. And then I go and then the book also covers, uh, you know, pirate families, the effect that deaths of pirates actually had on their families going into how they became a literary phenomenon because of newspaper articles and the advent of print how pirates were fighting the establishment. Of course, executions have to be in there. And then the book finishes with a chapter about pirate pop culture, where of course I talk about treasure Island, but I go into films such as uh, the princess bride, of course, the pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Uh, I talk about the pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland, black sales. I even go into some video games uh, that have pirates present. So it kind of covers everything. And I hope, Great. I think, it's very informative, and I hope people enjoy it as well. And it's available uh, in paperback, Kindle, audiobook. Uh, it's already out in the states. In the UK, it comes out on Tuesday, December tenth, I want to say, or December seventeenth in paperback. So it's pub- going to be published both here and in the UK. So yeah, uh, why we love pirates, the hunt for Captain Kidd, and how he changed piracy forever. So kind of a labor
0: of love very good to have you on this is all very interesting um thanks so much for coming on
1: you're welcome and thank you so much for having me uh this has been a lot of fun and i always love talking pirates
0: i want to thank you for listening the book is why we love pirates the hunt for captain kidd and how he changed piracy forever the author is rebecca simon phd we want to thank her very much for um Coming on the shower, if you're looking for a nice uh, Christmas gift, it's under $20. Nice price. Here's some good stories about pirates and also um, a little bit of debunking of some of the myths. while confirmation of other uh, myths. Uh, Hint. Yeah, they really did drink a lot of rum. Thanks for listening.